0: The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, today we are starting a new series uh, called Accidental Pharisees. And uh, we're going to be in this series for, for really the next couple months, basically through the, through the end of summer. And uh, we're doing it alongside our brothers and sisters down at Axe Church Lakeway. And it's also uh, loosely based off of a book by the same name, uh, by an author named Larry Osborne. So if you want to pick that up and follow along, you're welcome to. Uh... If not, you know, it makes it easier for me, because then I can just copy whatever he said and, and say it, and no one knows. Um, so, no, I'm kidding. Uh, all right, so this series is called Accidental Pharisees. Accidental Pharisees meaning, like, you, you didn't do it on purpose. You, you didn't mean to become one. It just sort of happened. You just accidentally became a Pharisee. You didn't, didn't mean to do it. It's sort of like, you know, eating dinner at Denny's, right? Like, no one ever plans to do that, right? You just sort of end up ordering a Moon's Over My Hammy, and you're thinking, where... Did I go wrong, Lord? How did, I, how did I make this wrong turn? And so in the same way, we can actually become Pharisees. We can, out of a very sincere heart for God, of a very sincere heart to follow him, we can end up being zealous about the wrong things. And we can end up, instead of living for God, we can end up living for something else. We can become accidental Pharisees. It's a subtle shift from high commitment to high treason. It's a subtle shift. And so we're going to dig into that over the next few weeks. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so today is really going to serve more as an introduction to this whole series, to some of the themes that, that we'll be really digging into more fully uh, throughout the next several weeks. And, uh, and so as we do that, uh, I've been on a, a three-point kick lately. I don't know if you've noticed that. but uh, So we're going to explore three questions this morning. Okay, three questions are, what is an accidental Pharisee? How do you become one? And finally, how do you stop it? What is an accidental Pharisee, how do you become one, and how do you stop being one? And uh, so with that, let's get started. What is an accidental Pharisee? Well, let's go to the question behind that, which is, what is a Pharisee? Uh, now, for those of you that grew up in the church, you know, the Pharisees and the Gospels, are they the good guys or the bad guys? They're the bad guys, right? They're the ones, they're always trying to trick Jesus, they're, they're trying to kill Jesus, like, they're the bad guys throughout the Gospels. And then, some of you who maybe didn't grow up in the church are saying, well, what the heck is a Pharisee? I don't even know what that is. It's a foreign word to me. We don't use it in, you know, it's not an everyday vernacular. So what's that? So let's build some common ground here. Uh, First century Palestine, when when Jesus lived and walked the earth, uh, he actually did that, was actually here in physical time and space, did that. Uh, The the Jewish people, Israelites, were ruled over by the Roman Empire. And, um, and they didn't like that, right? And so there's, there's four different sects of people from within Judaism that said, hey, we got to like, figure out a way to stop being ruled by these foreign people that are oppressing us. We, we need to be an independent state. We need to be free of this. And, and so there's four different groups that rose up that each had different solutions as to how they were going to do this, as to how they were going to change the circumstances that they were in. And so the four groups, you have the Sadducees, you have the Zealots, you have the Essenes, and you have the Pharisees. Okay, so let's just walk through these real quick. The Sadducees, uh, these were the guys, they were kind of the, the rich ruling class in the Jewish people. And they were kind of the, the ruling authorities, and, and, and they basically were like really kind of sloppy with their theology. They didn't really believe in the, the Old Testament as uh, the word of God. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so they were kind of just sort of culturally Jewish, and they said, hey, you know, God's fine and everything, but the way we're really going to get through this, the way we're really going to be free politically, is through political maneuvering. And so they would use kind of their position of authority to try and uh, politically maneuver so that they could have more freedom as a people. Then on the other side of the coin, uh, you have the zealots. These guys were nuts. They were just like, hey, you know what? Let's revolt right now, all the time, constantly. And so anyone who stands in our way will just kill them. That's the end of it. And so if you're either in all the way, killing everyone who stands in our way from freedom, or you're out. And so that's the zealots. They're just all in. Then on the other side of the coin, you have the, the Essenes. And they, they weren't about political maneuvering, but they also weren't about violence either. They were much more uh, secluded. They withdrew from larger society. Uh, sometimes they would physically do that and literally move out into the desert and have their own little religious community. Sometimes they'd do that within a city and just sort of have a, a closed community in which they did their religious activities within themselves and really withdrew from larger society, kind of like a monastery. And so that's the Essenes. And then finally, we have the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, what they did is they said, okay, so we keep being ruled by these, these foreign rulers. Let's look into the Bible, let's look into the Old Testament and see what the deal is. Why is this happening? And as they look through the history of Israel, they see that Israel consistently gets invaded by foreign rulers when they fall away from God's law. When they fall away from God's command, when they, when they worship other gods, when they stop caring for the widow and the poor and the orphans. When they, when they break his commands, when they fall away from that, foreign invaders come in and rule over them. And so the Pharisees said, well, let's just stop falling away from God's command. <laughs> Maybe we should do what he told us to. And so that's what they were all about. Is they said, guys, let's just get back to the basics. Let's follow God's law. Let's do what he's called us to do. And as we do that, our hope is that he'll deliver us. That as we come back to God's law, our hope is that he'll deliver us. Now, as you think about these four groups, you've got the Sadducees, the Zealots, the Essenes, and the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees seem kind of like the most attractive option, right? Because Sadducees are just rich bureaucrats. No one likes that. Zealots are crazy. Essings are useless, right? But, but the Pharisees, man, they're, they're, very, they're very attractive. And so they're very popular with the people of that day. Very popular. People liked them. It was a compliment to be called a Pharisee. It was a badge of honor. It meant you were a true Israelite. It meant you really cared about following God's law. In fact, the, the root of the word. Pharisee is the verb uh, parash in Hebrew and it means to be set apart. To be set apart. To be holy. Parash. So we have to ask, well you know, they don't seem that bad. Why why do they have such a negative connotation now? And perhaps more importantly, why did they have such a beef with Jesus? Like why were they always butting heads with Jesus? Why are they the bad guys in the Gospels? Well the Pharisees had one fatal flaw. That was they overcorrected. They overcorrected. See, they they wanted folks to follow God's law, which is a good thing. That's a good thing to do. But to ensure that people followed God's law, they made up a bunch of extra rules to be sure they wouldn't even get close to breaking God's law. Okay, so for example, in the Old Testament, there's these these rules about the temple and and the the dishes that are used there and the vessels that are there. And and God's really clear, like, you got to purify those and sanctify those and wash those constantly and keep them clean and set apart. And the Pharisees said, well, hey, if that's good enough for the temple... It's good enough for my house. And it's good enough for your house too. And so everyone, be sure that, that you treat all these objects as holy and clean them all. The, and this, you know, hygiene's a good thing, all right? We're for hygiene. But but this was just an unnecessary over overdoing of, of setting apart these vessels in a way that they were never intended. And so they added man-made laws onto God's law. And when you add to God's law and insist that other people follow it, it's a bad thing. It leads to self-righteousness it leads to hypocrisy, it leads to misguided zeal. And so throughout the Gospels, we see that through zeal for God, the Pharisees miss God. That that out of a passion to do what's right by God, they end up trying to kill God in the flesh, the person of Jesus Christ. And so the question we're asking is, is that possible today? Today? Is it possible for us today to, out of zeal for God, actually completely miss who Jesus is and what he would have us do? Is it possible out of a very well-intentioned zeal to pursue God and his commands that we miss who Jesus is and what he'd have us do? Can we become accidental Pharisees? The short answer is yes. And here's how. Here's how. If you look with me at the first verse in our text for today, I know some of you are thinking we'd never get there. Here we go. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and he says this. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what's Jesus getting at here? He's saying, okay, so all those Old Testament laws, all those Old Testament rules that God called on you to follow, he says, "I'm I'm not actually getting rid of those. I'm fulfilling them. I'm I'm completing them. You say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to fulfill the law? See, what Jesus is getting at here is that his role, his purpose, is not just to be some new rule giver. He's not just here to lay down four new spiritual laws or, or a bunch of religious laws for people to follow. That's not his purpose. That's not why he came. He says, I'm here to fulfill what you're unable to do. See, God's law still applies. You still got to follow it, but you're not going to get it done. It's not going to happen, but I will get it done. And as you trust in me, my record becomes your record. So Jesus comes to do what we're unable to do, so that instead of the demands of God's law being on us, right? So God's law, Ten Commandments, uh, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, whatever. Okay, so has anyone not honored their father and mother? Yes, all right the demand of the law says, dude, messed up, you're out of here. But see, Jesus fulfills it perfectly. So instead of the demand of the law being on us, we get God's grace on us. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He fulfills the law because we're unable to. And so he goes to the cross and he goes perfect. And he goes without sin. And he rises again on the third day. And and that's God's stamp of approval. That's the check clearing. Clearing. We're good to go. The demands of the law are fully met. They're fully satisfied in Jesus. And so as we have faith in him, his perfect moral record is now transferred to us. I want you to understand that. So literally, like before God, nothing you do or don't do makes any difference to your relationship to him because you have Jesus' record on you now, if you trust in Jesus. You stand before God. Nothing you do or don't do changes that relationship because Jesus' record is on you now. He fulfills the law perfectly. It's important for us to get. It's important for us to get because otherwise we end up becoming accidental Pharisees. See, if you fail to see Jesus as the completion of the law, if you fail to see that that you get Jesus' perfect record before God regardless of what you do, you're likely to become a massive hypocrite and an accidental Pharisee. And here's why, here's what I mean. Uh, Do you know why people who don't like the church don't like the church? Because they've been to one, right? (laughs) Because they've been to one. And they've been to one and they've seen the infighting and they've seen the gossip and the envy and the power struggles and the slander and a whole list of terrible things. And so they see the hypocrisy and they want nothing to do with it. And I get that. It makes a lot of sense to me, right? makes sense to you, right? I wouldn't want to be a part of that. Now, where does that hypocrisy come from? How does that infiltrate in the church? It comes from a misunderstanding of Jesus. See, if all Jesus is, is a new lawgiver, if all the only reason he was here was to give us a new way to live and to do the right things, then all church becomes is us coming together, checking, making sure that everybody's filling in the right spots, obeying all the rules, and if they don't, then we kick them out of here. That's what happens if we fail to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the law. But the reality is, of course, that none of us are keeping it perfectly. That we're all just a mess. And so instead of pointing to Jesus as the one who kept the law perfectly for us, what happens when you don't see him as the complete fulfillment of the law is you impose certain moral rules on yourself, and then you impose them on others, and then when you fail to meet them, you look like a hypocrite. Now, of course, our church, Extra Slander, is, is not a perfect church in this regard, but honestly, like, we're new enough. And quite frankly, I think we spend most of our time just trying to figure out, like, which way is up, that, that we just don't have time to, to fall into any of those traps. Because we're just like, oh, the chairs are here again. It's a miracle, you know? So um, we're just really excited. Uh, but, but, uh, but can I tell you all something? This is true. This is absolutely true. We have, we have people that, that are toe-in, toe-out with our church constantly because they don't feel like they're good enough to be here. They don't feel like they're good enough to be here. Like I've got a friend, uh, she's a single mom, uh, she's got a rough, rough past, and she's quite honestly she's still just figuring out what it is to follow Jesus and, and how that works. And she's worshipped with us maybe two or three times uh, over the, the course of, of our existence. And, um, and, and she just doesn't feel like she's good enough to hang out with clean-cut suburbanite church folks with their 2.5 kids and their white picket fences right? She's very uncomfortable with that. She doesn't know what to do. Now, I know our church has been nothing but loving and welcoming and embracing to her. Like, everyone's been kind, and I know, you know, I say that, and a lot of you are sitting here thinking, like, man, if she only knew, right? If she only knew what a mess it was in my life and where I've been and where I'm at right now and probably where I'm gonna be, if she only knew that I'm so far from perfect, man, she'd know she fits right in here. Amen? Right? right? And so I'm not, not pointing the finger here, okay? I'm not pointing the finger here. I'm just pointing out that, that Phariseeism, it's accidental, right? It's dinner at Denny's. It's accidental. And I'm confident that, that no one here wants anyone turned away from our church. But sometimes, simply the appearance we present betrays the reality of our desperate need for a Savior, Sometimes the appearance we present betrays the reality of our desperate need for a Savior who kept the law perfectly for us. And that, oh by the way, is why it's so important for us to be open and gracious and kind and friendly towards anyone who walks through these doors and walks in our lives. Not so that we can point them to us, but so that we can point them to the Savior, so we can show them the Savior's perfect record and not our own. Now another way we become accidental Pharisees is when we focus in on one part of following Jesus and we ignore the rest of it. So you can become an accidental Pharisee by failing to see that Jesus fulfills the law perfectly for you. You become an accidental Pharisee by focusing on one part of his teaching and failing to see the rest of it. Look with me at verses 18 to 19 in our text. Jesus is speaking still and he says this, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says, I fulfill all of the law. He says, all of God's commands, I fulfill all of them. And, 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 and he, he stresses the all. Because he knows that, that what's going to happen is we're going to say, all right, well, Jesus fills all the commands, but we're still called to, to follow God and do what he's called us to. And so I'm going to do this part here really well. Forget about this part over here. I'm just going to follow this specific command of Jesus, do really well, and then stare down my nose at anyone that doesn't get the rest of it figured out. Right? Here's what I mean. Uh, one of the probably ten most influential books in my life was a book I read my junior year of college uh, called The Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne. And a um, super good book. And, uh, and in it, he sort of, is this guy, he shares his story about the, the ministry that he and his friends do in inner city Philadelphia. And they, they have this sort of like, hippie Christian commune where they, they live in sort of a, a depressed, run-down neighborhood and, and they really just seek to love the people that are around them. And it's, and it's really cool and, and he's really provocative as he writes and he, he just calls on, on all Christians. He says, hey, listen man, Jesus talks about caring for the poor and the outcast and the downtrodden, you've got to take it seriously. And he says, and Jesus talks about not giving into greed and consumerism and materialism and you've got to listen to that call seriously. And, and he's right and I listened to it and I was like, oh, you know, I'm on fire. And so I went back to college at my senior year and I got together with some friends and we started the, the first ever social justice group at, at my university. And then from there, I went to write my senior seminar paper and I, I wrote this 30-page paper on Jesus' teachings on poverty in the book of Luke. And, and then I, I became a, a minimalist and I reduced all of my possessions down to 75. I said, this is all I'm going to have. This is all I'm going to live off of so that I can give the rest of the way so that I can just be in community with other people. And so I lived like that For a couple years and uh, then I started working at a church in the burbs in in the suburbs of of St. Paul, Minnesota and uh, I preached a sermon there in which I uh, attacked the evils of flat screen TVs And, um, and what a shame it is to waste your money on those in the face of the poverty that's all around us. I really did this, so just be happy to get me a few years down the road, it could be a lot worse, okay? Um, and, uh, and this lady came up to me afterwards, uh, Angela, she's a very thoughtful lady, very well, well-spoken, and she came up to me and she said, hey, uh, so, Gabe, like, I, I agree, you know, like, I get it, our, our culture is, is too greedy, it's, it's too materialistic, but do you think, Gabe, that, like, you know, as a suburban housewife who's trying to raise my boys in the faith, like, do you think I'd be allowed to have a flat-screen TV? She's like, and she was really sweet about it, she's like, I, I don't remember Jesus saying I couldn't do that, right? <laughs> Do you think I could follow him without following your specific code of ethics? You see, this is why seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of the law is so important. Because does Jesus call us to radically care for the poor? Yes. Does he call us to avoid greed and the snares of wealth? Yes. But does he also call us to care for and love those he's given to us, our families? Yes. Does he also call us to not judge others before taking the plank out of our own eyes? Yeah. You see, what I did was I focused on one part of Jesus' commands at the exclusion of the rest of them. I became an accidental Pharisee. That's how that happens. And see, the reality is you do this too. You do this too. It may not be the same way that I did it, but you fall into this trap too. Just think about it. Any time you say something like this, well, I can't believe that he would dot, dot, dot. Or did you hear what she did? You'd think they'd know better. Well, I would never do something like that. Why don't those people just get it? Why can't they just dot, dot, dot? You see what you're doing there, right? Right? You're recognizing a fault in someone else. You're maybe even recognizing a sin in someone else, which could be certainly valid. But if you do that and you fail to recognize that you're not keeping the law either, that you don't got it together either, you slip in to being an accidental Pharisee. And just if we have any friends with us who are not uh, yet followers of of Jesus, there's there's a secular way to do this too, right? We see it all around us. Where instead of not following one of Jesus' commands, or following one of Jesus' commands really well and staring down your nose at everyone else, it's maybe not a Jesus command, but it's a rule you have for yourself. Right? So it could be one like it's really important to be successful and work hard. Well, so what happens then? Well, anyone who isn't successful is lazy and didn't work as hard as I did. Or it's really important to take care of your body and be healthy. Okay, well, anyone who doesn't work out and eat the way I do, stare down my nose at him. Or it's really important to be be open-minded. You shouldn't judge others. So anyone who isn't as open-minded as I am is just ignorant and uneducated, Stare down my nose at them. See, what happens is we get control over one area of our life. And if other people don't live up to that area, we stare down our noses at them. This is true for the Christian and the non-Christian. And so let me say this. Just because you've got control over one area of your life doesn't give you the right to stand as judge and jury over the rest of us. Just because you have control over one area of your life doesn't give you the right to have judge and jury over the rest of us. So you become an accidental Pharisee when you focus on one part of Jesus' commands at the exclusion of the rest of them. You become an accidental Pharisee when you see Jesus as a new lawgiver instead of the fulfillment of the law. All right. so we've looked at what an accidental Pharisee is, how you become one. Finally, how do you stop? How do you stop being one? Look with me at the final verse in our text for today. Verse 20 says this, Jesus speaking. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now you look at this verse and at face value, it seems like Jesus is trying to get us to be Pharisees, right? He says, your righteousness, another way to say that, your right living, your right living needs to be better than the Pharisees. You, got, you don't have to just be as good as them. You've got to be better than them. But he's being intentionally hyperbolic here. And his original audience would have picked this up. It'd be like if I were to say this, oh, uh, so you want to go to heaven? Okay, well, to do that, you've got to be fast. How fast? Usain Bolt? Fastest guy in the world? Too slow. Way too slow. You've got to be faster than Usain Bolt to get in. See, Jesus' point here is that not that you try really, really hard. It's not his point. His point is that you realize you can't do it. That you need to repent. You need to repent of your sin and your failure to keep God's perfect command. And then you cling with all your hope to Jesus as your righteousness, cling with all your hope to Jesus as the perfect fulfillment of the law. That's his point. That's the trick. That's how you stop being a Pharisee. That's how you avoid it. You repent. You repent daily. That's you avoid the traps of becoming an accidental Pharisee. I love these words in Romans 3. Uh, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. See, it's only then when you get that all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Everyone is falling short of the glory of God. Everyone's missing the mark. You are too. It's only when you realize that, that you have the humility to not fall into the traps of being an accidental Pharisee. So I got a friend named Rob and, uh, he and I uh, used to, um, help out at a church and we did a, a worship service and, and Rob was one of those guys who I just loved. Like anyone who was new, anyone who came in, anyone who just looked uncomfortable to be there, uh, like he was there, like he'd moved towards them with open arms and was loving and present, but wasn't weird. Like, you know, so like he was the good kind of guy doing that. Um, and, uh, and so he was just like a good dude that way and I just so admired his faith and, um. And the reality is, though, Rob was, like, not perfect, right? Like, by, by any of the stretch of the imagination, uh, he, would, he had an on-again, off-again struggle with, with alcoholism and drug abuse. Uh, the dude could not hold down a job for the life of him. He smoked more cigarettes than anyone I'd ever met. And I'm not cel- celebrating any of those things, and neither is he. But he's an inspiration to me because he's the sort of guy who realized it wasn't about how good he was and all the good things he did and making sure that everyone was brought up to his moral standard. He knew that he didn't have a great moral standard. He knew that it was all about pointing people to Jesus. That it was all about connecting them to the one who does have a perfect standard and gives that to us. And so I hope to have a faith like him, and I hope that for, for all of you too. And uh, actually a couple of days ago, my, my friend Rob actually wrote this prayer, and and pass it on to me. And and so I'd like to pray that over you as we we close this morning. And uh, so let me do that. This is a, a prayer my friend Rob wrote. Lord, you know the depravity we're faced with day in and day out. You see us in our need. You are just in every way and will bring punishment for every wrong. And on the other hand, you are love. Your mercy will blot out every wrong from our hands and hearts. You sent your Son to appease your need for justice. And you sent your Son in our need for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus and salvation through him. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.